The opinions expressed on this podcast should be construed only as the opinions of the respective opiners, and some content may not be appropriate for little dragons. Discretion is advised. I can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work. Determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Hello and welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that's broadcast for the badass with a brain and hopefully a sense of humor. Episode 47, recorded January 12th, 2014, starts now. All right, folks, we're back once again, and I'm uh, pleased as punch to have two, not one, but two guest irregular hosts in the studio with me today. Uh, to my left, I have uh, Bluce Ryder. Is that stage left or stage right? Uh, well, depends on which one of us is on stage. We're all on stage. Oh my God, this is confusing. <laughs> Shakespearean politic. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and the voice you just heard there to my, uh, well, you know, I guess there is a stage, right, left channel. And uh <laughs> Pittman's going right this time. Uh, Alan Pittman's back in the house. Yeah. This is like your third time on the podcast, so I'm just going to start calling you an irregular co-host. Sounds adequate. Yeah. <laughs> I love the adequate. That was the best compliment I got out of Pittman the first two years I trained with him. He'd walk by and look at what I was doing and go, oh, that's adequate. <laughs> walk away. <laughs> he knew how to keep you striving. You know? Yeah, the Chinese often say about... Their gender, that the American men are more adequate for the women. More adequate. <laughs> That's a delicate way of putting it. And before we offend all our Chinese listeners, let's move along. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's good to have you guys back. Does anybody, uh, Bruce, uh, you were just on the podcast recently, so. Yeah, yeah. Probably not a lot of catching up to do with you. Did you, uh, you've been into any business since that uh, was about a month ago? Oh, it's getting ready to do a, a cruise around the Bahamas with some rock and roll band and, and um, play martial arts on the deck. It's going to be great. Yeah. We'll, we'll uh, do our usual uh, poolside training and. Yeah. Yeah. It's not playing martial arts on the deck like we do over here, <laughs> it's on the deck of a damn cruise ship. So. Uh, everybody, one, two, three, lucky bastards, say it together. <laughs> Speaking of globetrotting travels, uh, Alan, it hasn't been that long. It's only been about three, three months, four months since you were on, about four months since you came on. Yeah. Uh, I know you've done some traveling in the meantime. You, you got anything you want to catch people up on in your, <laughs> your man of mystery lifestyle? <laughs> International man of mystery. That's right. Yeah. Not just national, international. I go to so many countries, I'm tired all the time. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, not really. I say, what, what have I done? Most of my work right now is between is Western Europe, so I stay between uh, Switzerland, France, Belgium, and England uh, pretty much. Just the old boring rut you're stuck in. Well, <clears throat> all of that's, you know, within a pretty easy ride on a train. Right. So it's 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 manageable as long as you've got people 
waiting for you who know language, custom, and location. <laughs> and a society that builds train tracks between different places and lets yeah. people ride on them cheaply. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, they do have something known as an infrastructure. <laughs> yeah, we hate that shit. So yeah. you take the train from destination to destination once you get over there? Usually, yeah, usually. Nice. But that means I have to plan everything on a line. So if I'm doing right. a workshop in England and then in Paris, I basically go you know, eastward and just keep stopping off. And then maybe get one flight back to the main airport to return. Right. Yeah. But it's interesting. You know, I uh, I complain about traveling, and then I realize that uh, I could be complaining about a nine-to-five job with a stable <laughs> income also. Oh, and you would be. Trust yeah. me. Yeah. Trust me on that. <laughs> so, you know, complaining is, is like blaming. It's a necessary option for most of us. Well, complaining's fun. There's just only a limited amount of it allowed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So anyway, that's that's where I'm at most of the time. I do have a um, a student doing translations for Wisdom of the Body into Hungarian, so I may end up <clears throat> getting over to Hungary and possibly Poland later on. I'm a little curious about Eastern European culture for a lot of different reasons, but uh, yeah, <clears throat> mainly because a lot of it's left. Yeah, and it's uh, a place in transition right now. Too, yeah, very right? much so. Definitely. I, that's that's one interesting thing that I may have spoken about last time we talked is Ukraine and Eastern Europe. You know, it's, it's, it is an ever-changing hmm. world out there with politics and, you know. Right. So, anyways. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah we, we had to talk about the protests going on over there last time Bruce was on. Yeah, you got that whole mail order bride thing going on. That's, <laughs> that's a pretty big industry. But Ukraine is old Scythia, so that's the old steppe people, and some of the old archery and some of the tribal culture is still alive in the Ukraine, as it is in Hungary. You know, Lajos Kasai has his uh, archery school there for archery on horseback. Oh yeah. So right. this, there's some stuff going on in Eastern Europe that's really interesting as far as craft and martial art. Some of the old wrestling, like in the Ukraine, they have some of the old arm swinging boxing. Nice. Uh, where they look like two windmills running at one another in a Quixote-type fashion. Right. <laughs> that, all that stuff is still alive in pockets, and so that interests me. Uh, when so I'm how do you get around, ex- you know? how do you get exposure to to it? Like, how do you meet somebody that that teaches a craft like that? Well, usually, what happens is in the context of a workshop, I have a translator or interested parties, and they know uh, from my website what I'm interested in, and they'll even make offers like, "Hey, we have a person who does this. Are you interested?" And, I, and I'll say, "Sure, we got time to go there." Nice. And so I get. <clears throat> I get taken to meet people and to see things, and they know I'm very interested in culture, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's a it's a weakness and a strength, because right. it, it, it means that I'm interested in too many things, but it also means that my hosts are always glad to show me something. Yeah. So it's, it's good, uh, mm-hmm. and I have a lot of fun. It, it keeps me running. Well, you've done something kind of in, in humanly and just in animal life instinctual is you kind of made a foraging pattern, right? Yeah, you could say that. I have a, I have a grid work across Europe, and uh, I'm a big supporter of traditional cultures. Like when I go to Brittany, I like to study the Breton wrestling. Hold on. You know, as Hold well on. as teach my stuff. Take that tiny TV back in your room. I can hear it on the mics. <laughs> That's a nice TV, though. I like that show. Yeah. I, or go in with mommy in the kitchen, one of the two. I hear peep in the big wide world, and I hear enough of that. Ah, there we go. <laughs> peep. Oh. Never heard it called Hi-ya. that. Yep. Hi-ya. Hi-ya to that. 
well, <laughs> sound effects. Move along. Yeah, so far I've only got two things on the board though, so don't expect uh, don't expect a lot. Yeah. Editing <laughs> editing will cure all. Yeah. I don't want to make a morning zoo out of this. Mm. And an evening zoo is fine, but not a morning zoo. All right. Um so one thing I wanted to bring up before we get into the meat, and we got a discussion topic today suggested by a listener who followed my advice and resent some material to me that they had previously previously sent that got sucked up by the blue screen of death on my old computer. Okay. So, uh, guys, if you're hearing this, uh, it does work. It's working again, so you can use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> All right. Um, but one thing I wanted to bring up is uh, we had a recent death in the news that's pretty significant in the martial arts world. Who's that? Uh, Run Run Shaw. I know the name. What, Shaw what? Brothers, baby. Oh, that's... An, wow. Yeah. 106 years old. Um, he uh, apparently died peacefully with a, a model on each arm because <laughs> he was that kind of guy. Uh-huh. I think he died tired. <laughs> yeah. But really interesting story behind this guy's life. We won't lay it all out again here but you know everybody knows about the movies come drink with me one arm boxer you know five <laughs> fingers of death and it just goes on from there and if you want to dig deeper into that you should check back a few episodes to our interview with bay logan because we talked extensively about the shaw brothers studios and what they were doing and how okay. they did it but a few things that i still just looking through his obituaries didn't realize about the guy uh, he and his brother, uh, they started out in Shanghai and wound up in Singapore in the you know twenties and thirties, mm. and had a flourishing media production company. Yeah. When the Japanese got there, they saw him coming and had taken four million dollars or so worth of stuff and just buried it. Artifacts, money. This was pretty possession. customary during the revolution. Was to bury. Musical instruments, antiques, money, you name it. Right, right. Yeah. Hide that stuff. Come back for it later. You betcha. <laughs> and it's even in the old legendary stuff. You know, they talk about going and finding the scroll hidden behind the waterfall in the cave or whatever. You know? <laughs> well, you know, the Tibetans have the same tradition for sacred texts. You you go to certain mm-hmm. places and dig them up. The morality, uh, uh, the moral of the story here yeah. is if you see the army coming over the hill, go hide your shit. <laughs> <laughs> And you don't have to say it in Latin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Just go hide your shit. Abscondus shittus diggus. Whatever it is. Abscondus shittus diggus. Get away, you know. Yeah. yeah Bruce, Bruce looked at the board because he heard me peek. I know what you're doing. <laughs> I see your eyes darting around over there. Um, uh, so they, they pulled all this out after the war, wound up, you know, Run Run went over to Hong Kong to expand the business and wound up being the business. Yeah. And... Uh, he was, uh, uh, I didn't know what a huge philanthropist he was in later life. Um, he started all kinds of stuff, uh, started a, you know, a charity university for mathematics and sciences. He was knighted by Queen Elizabeth II. Well, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, I think all of his kids went to Harvard, not Harvard, uh, to Oxford. Yeah. So uh, he was well sense. connected with that. Yeah. That Hong Kong Shanghai Bank's got branches all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> Another thing that I didn't realize about him or had forgotten was Blade Runner never would have been made if Run Run Shaw hadn't stepped in and produced, put the ponied up the money that they needed at the last minute. Well, that also explains it that it, it has a very Asian flavor. Yeah, and I think it, it has that it going does. up from the top. But he apparently, I, and I may be fuzzy on this story because I didn't have time to do deep research on it, but they had uh, backers pull out when they realized what the movie was really going to be like. Okay. And they went to... Shaw and he said, "You know what? That sounds good to me." And he dropped <laughs> the money for this 
you know what's become a classic in sci-fi cinema. Mm-hmm. It is a good movie, actually. You should it's awesome. Check it out if you haven't seen it in a in a few years. Yeah. Well, I think also that it's indicative, and this is my prediction, so you can see if it comes true. Okay, that take the, note. Uh, all right, the, the, the Chinese <laughs> culture. Yeah, the Chinese culture is going to excel in science fiction films in the future. You know they're doing it already, and the Japanese to some to a large extent too. There's yeah. one called uh, Frostbite or something like that. There's a really really big budget. The Koreans are doing it. There's there's a lot it's, of it's stuff gonna coming come out of up. Asia. Yeah, it's going to come up. Yeah, because they're doing all the traditional stuff for now, and it's going to be the logical next step. And the Chinese just finally put a rabbit on the moon, so they're heavily involved in that. <laughs> yeah, they got that rabbit thing going on. Yeah, the they're good landing. for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, the, the last thing I'd like to say about him, unless anybody else has something to add here, is uh, I found a quote of his that I like. Uh, he was asked by somebody what kind of films he liked. And he said, I particularly like movies that make money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those are the best kind of he was, business. You know what Rockefeller said when they asked him how much money was enough? He said, one more dollar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Always one more dollar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm not going to waste time with much of a segue here. I'm just going to go ahead and move us on to our main topic of discussion. We can branch out into other stuff from there. But... uh, you know, I said we had a, an email from a listener. Um, this is from Jay Wilson, who also dug way down into the archives and found when I was asking for a term for Hi-Yah listeners, he suggested Hi-Yahoos. <laughs> I kind of like that one. I've got permission to use that. He claims to be a hi addict. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, basically what it says here is this. Good day, gentlemen. I've recently stumbled across your podcast and have gone back and listened to about half the past episodes, sort of picking and choosing my way through them. It inspired me enough to start my own martial arts podcast, so hooray for you, which you'll hopefully be hearing about soon. Just let us know and we'll let everybody else know, uh, Mr. Wilson. My martial background is in the more traditional Japanese arts. After hearing both of your descriptions of Bagua, Northern Shaolin, and Xing Yi, I decided to look them up on YouTube. I actually found some clips of Dave demonstrating... Uh, application of Bagua. The application looked eerily similar to our system's jujitsu self-defense. What my question is, what my question is, is why go through the quote-unquote art process and not just teach the application? In your learned opinions, um, what is the value of the art part of the system? Thanks for the great show, Zachy Wilson. And P.S. if you're ever in South Florida, look me up. Will do. Doesn't happen often, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. That's so, a good question. Now, I'll go ahead and get the ball rolling because I have one thing that I'm very clear on why you need an art and not just a pile of tactics. Because the art, doing the art, doing the forms, going through the process, the pedagogy of the system changes the way your body moves in a way that's uh, not contained just in the application. Application is part of the feedback loop that you have to engage in to learn how to use the art, but it's not—it's necessary but not sufficient in and of itself because nothing ever goes exactly as planned, and you need an underlying substructure of having this way of moving habituated into your body, and just doing applications, they're all externally focused, right? 
So you can't focus on what you're doing and set up patterns that you follow, you know, when something, yeah, what's that noise? Oh, it's, the heat kicked on. That's what it is. Folks, you're just going to have to learn more of that. Yeah. <laughs> we're on a large ship at sea entering the coal region, and we're coming upon an iceberg, and the heat kicked on, so we're in trouble now. <laughs> we just point it forward, and it'll melt the iceberg, and we'll be fine. We forgot the binoculars. <laughs> So yeah, so let me. Uh, that, that's my Kickstarter for this. Is uh, you know I think it's necessary for that reason because it's one of the problems I have with systems the way some people teach them. Like uh, you know, Jeet Kune Do. A lot of people just assume, well, this is just a collection of the most effective techniques. There has to be an underpending physical methodology in there that needs to be imparted somehow on its own, not just via application. What do you think? I'll recount um, my first lesson in martial arts from Alan Pittman, which oh was God. learning, <laughs> learning, <laughs> sing he. Don't worry, I'll edit this my, out. If it's my wife is calling me on the phone. <laughs> I think I have to go. He taught us applications first. He taught us the applications. Well, that's to, not very Chinese. To um, <laughs> <laughs> the five elements, right? And then taught um, Pichuan to those of us who didn't have. Um, some of the other material material that you guys were working on, and um, anyhow, I thought it was really interesting point of view learning the applications first because that was the first time, other than in wrestling or boxing, that I'd learned the application first, right? And then the form, you know, and, and it got me looking a little bit more into like how some sport martial arts, like ju Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, for example. Even though they wouldn't admit to having forms, they do have they do. forms. Yeah. They have repetitive movements that, that make a foundational set of rules for your body to follow. You know, like a, you know, your, your knee doesn't go over your toe or whatever it may be. You know, just right. a, a sets of rules for your, for your body mechanics. And, and those, you know, even though it may not be a long drawn out sequence of 83 movements or something, or 64 movements, right. it's, you know... It is a form. So I think that you have to have a form of some sort. But Tume Arts, I think, may waste a lot of time only training a form and never getting to a function or never getting to a function that you can actually right. use against somebody that doesn't train what you're training. Yeah. <laughs> well, like I was saying, you know, function is necessary, but not sufficient, I don't think, to give you the whole package because function just tends to be too specific, right? Well, it, there's a um, there's a sort of dimensional question in that if you're paying attention to what the technique is doing to, to someone else, then you're watching what happens to them when you do the technique on them. Okay. Now that means you know. As long as it's affecting them the way you think it should, it's correct. Mm -hmm. But the other side is when you do something to someone, what is it doing to you while you're doing it? For instance, you can hit a heavy bag in such a way that if you're really tense, you'll create a shockwave in the back of your skull. All right. <laughs> so... Or holding a stick wrong and hitting a tree and having it do more damage to your own <laughs> yeah, arm. Than, yeah. yeah, so there's a question of, yes... You can do a technique on someone, and it will affect them the way you think it should. Okay. But then there's the question of what, 
how should it affect you when you do it to them? So I always think right. there's two sides to this technique. Mm -hmm. And if you've got two weeks to teach a commando, you're not really that concerned about how much the technique traumatizes your body as long as you know how to kill someone quickly. But if you've got a 22-week curriculum instead of a two-week curriculum, other issues come up like, what's the best way to do this? Right. As opposed to, how fast can I learn to do this? And when questions of efficiency arise, then you have questions of ergonomics and form and leverage and mechanics and uh, muscular anatomy and synaptic location, baroreceptor, proprioceptor, apperception, right. intuition, distance. Heisenberg indeterminacy, <laughs> right. uh, how many angels can stand <laughs> on the, the head, head of a pen, St. Augustine. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, the, so, but I think all of those things you just mentioned, except for maybe quantum physics, mm. is accessible via that act of pounding a single form up and down the pavement over and over again, week in, week out, in different kinds of weather, in different situations, you know. That sort of thing allows you to explore all those issues that aren't directly connected to putting the application on this person immediately. Well, yeah, there is kinetic education. There is education of the body. You, you can say, in fact, that different martial arts develop a different kind of body. There is a, ideally, right. if, if it's an authentic teaching, you have a, there's a, for instance, most of us who've done judo, we know that the judo man from hell is five feet tall and weighs 500 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> and what happens is he grabs you and you grab him and he goes around and around and you go flying through the air. Mm -hmm. So there is a sort of ideal body for judo, which is this muscular barrel shape, which every, every act becomes a winding throw. Right. Uh, and for boxing, obviously, reaches a strategic advantage. So the nightmare from hell is is the man that's built like a very large cedar tree. Right. So... We, we have bodies, we have body types in the human world, and we have martial arts that apparently were templated on different kinds of body types. And if, if you don't have that body type, and you do a martial art that's conducive to that kind of body type, it will tend to make you more that way because it was designed for that. Right, and part of the thing is, you know, some of a lot of it's just inborn genetic. You know, you either have long arms or you don't. No yeah. amount of stretching them will make them longer. No, but you can change your body by how you train. Yes, it has. And an I've effect. had this happen to me personally. You know, my uh, my legs gained two inches around <laughs> in the thigh. Uh, after a year doing Bogwan, I wasn't putting on a lot of weight, but I was doing Shaolin before with lots of super, you know, lots of jumping, lots of stuff like that. And just doing the different kind of training where you're pinning down to the ground and, mm. and moving with your knees bent and trying to, you know, the difference in training made a change in my body. Yeah, there's a Bagua body. There's a Shingi body. Right. There's a... There's certainly a Brazilian jiu-jitsu body, and I'm always shocked at how thin the lower legs are, for instance, in a Brazilian jiu-jitsu body. Um, there's well, they're a, not doing stance training, so, you know. <laughs> there's a, exactly, so you, you can see weakness in the ankles. But, again, for what they're doing, it's the body for the job. Right. And, and I think uh, with a, a martial culture, what you find is over time— they develop a concept for a kind of body, and this is what a form trains. So you can see someone, for instance, who's done Taiji a long time, and they have a Taiji body. They have legs like a draft horse, 
and a thin upper body with good respiratory capacity, and they never tire. Right. <laughs> but their upper body is not particularly strong. Mm-hmm. But it's remarkably attenuated and, and sensitive, and they have a really good sense of distance. Mm-hmm. So you could say, you know, you can look at that body and say, well, that's really a Taiji body. And a Shaolin, you know, a Shaolin body will be different. And I think when these arts became specializations, the bodies became specialized bodies. But as you go further back, they're less specialized. And more part of a sequence of training than yes, separate self freestanding things. Exactly. And so in a comprehensive form of training, you would be interested in, over a period of time, experimenting with different forms of body development. So you had a multiplicity of experiences. Right. Yeah, that I can see that happening. But as far as form, uh, the ancient Greeks had skamakia and parakia, which were armored dances, unarmored dances, just as Asians did. Western boxing had shadow boxing because you want to develop smooth fluency the same way you would develop fluency with language or a musical instrument and this mm-hmm. is what form is supposed to do it's it's not supposed to be uh, um, <clears throat> a meaningless involved repetitious drill to simply make the teacher's rice bowl bigger right <laughs> it, it was supposed to develop an extremely virtuoso capacity extreme virtual capacity in the Persian so they could move in the most efficient way possible at the drop of a hat. That was the idea. Right. But now that can get distorted into you'll come to my school for 10 years and do the form 500 times each time, and I'll never explain it to you. Yeah, That's the other branch. You can't fight with of, it for 10 years. At yeah, least. exactly. So there is that. Go ahead, Bruce. Um, uh, go ahead. Carry on. No, no, no. no. What? You had a thought. <laughs> I want to. I want to capitalize on this fleeting thought. It went away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, that's why you don't just have a bag full of techniques. But what's interesting is if you get a man and, and he wants to learn a bag of techniques, you can teach him that in two weeks. But I don't think if you don't have the underpinning training, he'll ever be very good at it. Well, that's a question of does he want to be really good at it, or right. does he just want to go to the cocktail party and say, "Look." I learned this really neat way to snap his cervical vertebrae. Watch this, Rhonda. Right. <laughs> Oh, how I, quaint. What's what, oh, what's yeah. the goal of your training, though, I think would be, like, are you training for an activity to do? Are you training for self-defense? Are you training for your health or a combination of all that? I think... And the, and the art side of the to, art is not just the forms part. It's the cultural inoculation that goes on in there. It's the uh, or indoctrination or whatever. It's, it's the philosophical aspects of the art. And all these things are big selling points to modern people who are not going out and uh, fist fighting every day. Yeah. You know, well, there's, the, there's real questions here. And there's value to them, too. Well, if you don't have a culture, it's good to study one. (laughs) Being American, you mean? Yeah, yeah. And well, it, in a culture yeah. with no rites of passage, well, clearly delineated this is or anything. A, yeah, we have a, an infantile culture because there are no rites of passage. Right. That's my little sermonette of the evening. Well, we instinctively look for them in other places, and that's well, why I was attracted both to medieval knights and kung fu warriors <laughs> when I was a kid. Look, you know? bungee jumping was the modern version of the old initiation by air, where your elders would take you to a cliff and push you off. <laughs> Uh, but you didn't know there was a net underneath. Right. <laughs> and, but it made you gasp, and it changed your heart rhythm for life. Well, they so, were probably hosing shit off the net all the time, yeah. too. But. <laughs> so there's lots of ways to do initiation. There's tough ones. There's gentle versions. But, you know, these days the closest thing we get is uh, 
here's your car keys, here's your condoms, behave yourself, don't get too <laughs> drunk, or don't get caught, right. which is the ultimate lesson in competitive sports is what can you get away with. Right. <laughs> Whereas in martial arts, you really want to look at the life and death impulse, and that's something that we don't allow in the culture as a rule. For instance, we don't teach children as a rule in American culture in any school anywhere how to protect themselves. Now, right. what's interesting about that is it creates a nation of victims who then want the state to protect them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what we've got now. And yeah. policemen in the hallways. Yeah. So there's there's payment, you know, it, um, but we don't see the nose that's on our face. You know, we don't teach people. We don't teach our children how to survive. So it's, they never learn it. Now, well, what happens? Or the adventurous spirits among us go out there, and we find it in martial arts, in something, you know. Well, this and, is this then becomes a kind of self-initiation. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And there's your bunchy jumping and your extreme sports. Right. Right. Uh, all of these things develop a sense of power and limit if you live through them. Right. <laughs> yeah. The old idea with old cultures was you were supposed to live through initiations. You were shepherded through by someone who'd done it. You had a circle of elders, and the whole point of initiation was to initiate you into a group of elders. So at this point in North American culture, uh, sans actual Native American tribal culture, sans that, we we don't have a circle of elders that we initiate young people into. So even if a young person bungee jumps or does extreme sports and gets a sense of their own power, they're not actually welcomed into a community for that. There's not a cultural order to bring them in with this new empowerment. Well, there often are communities associated with that, just like we have this community of people we sit down and talk martial arts with forever, but they're very... They're pockets. They're it, not, it's not a general social. It's a, sub, it's a subculture. Right. Hmm. It's not a culture. And so we end up with a pocketed uh, subculture. Yeah. And then you're eccentric or weird or uh, oh, yeah. one of those. <laughs> so as one, guy, as, <laughs> as one guy said to me, well, Alan, you can be mediocre or you can be eccentric. What would you like? I'll take eccentric every day. So there you go. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's actually crazy until you have money, and then it's eccentric. Right. So you're still crazy is what you're saying. Yeah, I'm still crazy. As one guy said, I get it. I said, what do you mean you get it? He said, what was it he said to me? He said, he looked at me. He said, you're like me. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're a freak. (laughs) And I said, yeah, true. That's a kind way of putting Uh, it. And I went back to my skulls and swords. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> no, more freaks the better is what I say. <laughs> Let your freak flag fly. That's right. Yeah. Good company here. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, it sounds like, you know, what we're getting at with this is, um, yes, the applications, uh, human bodies are human bodies. So if you're trying to do a certain thing to a human body, mm. any place it comes from is going to wind up looking fairly similar if you just look at the basic physics of it, right? I want to lock his arm, and I want to lock it up, and I want to then do this. Mm. Well, that it's going to look the same in Bagua as it does in jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. Now, what's or, interesting about that is, <clears throat> well, in any art, you operate in a continuum, mm-hmm. and... Uh, if you lock his arm a certain way in a certain direction, it'll guarantee his head will also end up in a certain location. Right. So the next movement of the form becomes extremely significant. 
Mm -hmm. And that's really where arts differ, not in the arm lock, but in what the arm lock results in doing. Right. Like where their head goes or what angle their body ends up moving off of. And how do you continue that? Yeah. So this is why we have strings of movements in systems, whereas system fragments or commando techniques, mm -hmm. there is very little sequence because there's very little time to learn the techniques. Right. So you'll learn three to five quick, abbreviated, choppy techniques that'll work in a variety of conditions as opposed to strings of techniques that maneuver a guy into a variety of positions. And, and you get that maneuvering into position from the fact that martial arts are, they're, none of them covers everything. They all have sort of an underlying theme. That's part of the art side of it is, you know, is this, uh, is this a bodyguarding art versus a battlefield art? You know, there's big distinctions you can make, but each art is going to subtly have its own thing that it wants to do. Oh, and shut your door. <laughs> I don't hear anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what I'm saying? It's it's like yeah. you get that's where the flavor of the art comes through. Yeah, you know? Well, I can give you an example of that. At one time when I was studying uh Captain William Fairburn who trained the commandos in World War II in England, I uh I went to see Kelly Yetton <clears throat> and Kelly Yetton's brother was with Fairburn in Shanghai. And Kelly had learned some of Fairburn's techniques, some of his close quarter technique fighting. And uh, I showed him some Chinese chinna bone-locking chains, sequences of locks and strikes. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me and he said, you know, we always wondered how you put it together in strings. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really impressed. Yeah. And, it, and it answered questions that had floated around his, in his mind since World War II. Working, working with the techniques his brother learned from Fairburn in Shanghai. Right. And so that, that was actually very instructive for me to hear him say that. We always wondered how these things were put together mm -hmm. because they never learned it. They never had time, and it was a luxury to, to try to find out. So. And one of the real marks of skill in a martial art is being able to fail with a tactic and segue efficiently to the answer, to the counter. Yeah, to the counter. It's not yeah. working, move on. Yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. And yeah. if you only know a few techniques, even if you've hammered them in and they're really good, you fall into that trap where I'm going to do this to you, he defeats it, you try it again, and that's just setting yourself up well, for the big fail. <laughs> I had one French student, and he would cross-counter everything I did, and he said to me, it always gets worse, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, that's the idea. It's a, you're slipping down that sandy embankment toward the ant lion at the bottom with his little pinchers out. That cyclopean creature that never should exist. He's going to suck you out from the inside. Uh, the yep. dark chasm of that's the right. female. That's right. That's what. The, but wait now. The Taoists call it the mysterious void. Yeah. 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 Well, you don't want to lose your car keys in there. That's for no. Sure. That's true. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, you got anything salient to add to this at this point? Yeah, I, I think that at you kind some of wanted point, to defend the other side. Well, too. yeah, at some point, when when you look at some, I mean, a lot of people that I've been exposed to have focused far too much time on form instead of function. I, I just, I, you know, I'm rehashing this. I think I say this every time, but I think the function over form, like the the form, has to serve your goal. Right. You know, like you have to, you have to, what, what's the reason for the form? You know, like, is it like, uh, and so many people, I think, practice it for 
different reasons than I may. But, but Bruce, do you mean to tell me that you will not practice a form repetitiously and endlessly to enhance the power of your chi? (laughs) No. I see. You rolled out a little trap for you there. You scared me for a second. You you may not be able to join my church. (laughs) You offer a church? Oh, yeah, they're singing and shouting, too. Uh, Listen, opportunity for taxation at every corner. (laughs) Or the avoidance thereof. Absolutely. Um, No, I I see what you're saying, but I I, I would counter that I think you do need a a foundation in some system, right? Something that gives you kind of soup to nuts, and you need Mm -hmm. to focus on that and get that. And once you do that, it's like learning how to play one style of guitar, let's say. If you get good at that, then you know all the process leading up to it, and you've got a lot of foundational material, even if it's different from style to style. You've got a foundation already in place, and then you can start cherry-picking and learning things from different systems and, and actually making use of them, you know, Rather than just simply hopping from one technique to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, if you have that foundation, you can go shopping, right? Well, there's, there's, uh, you know, if yeah. someone... If yeah, someone, tell me I'm full of shit for someone, saying, Dave, you ignorant slut. Well, Dave, Dave, you ignorant slut. <laughs> Dave, let me tell you what reality is. Okay, good, I've been waiting for <laughs> Rid yourselves of the sins of ignorance and join me. Anyway. <laughs> How much does it cost? <laughs> exactly. Uh, 5,000 tales of gold like Master Knee to learn the secrets of immortality. That's right. Anyway, what I was going to say is there are some guys who are just happy looking at different basketfuls of techniques. And and if they're good for that and that's what they want, fine. I remember I had a, a Goju-ru karate man uh, in England say to me, can you just come to the class and show us some tricks? You know, like the old martial arts books that would be trick number 27. Right. Well, if they're good trick martial artists already because of their systemic of yeah, invo- involvement, they, they were. then they'll be able to use those tricks. Absolutely. Well, they all had a very thorough grounding, were very skilled in goju. And so I went to the class and I showed them some tricks. I said, well, here's how they would do it in southern China, or here's how they do it in northern China, or this is the Bagua way of doing it. And they were, uh, they had a good time. Yeah. And it gave them two-man drills that were interesting and slightly different than what they'd been taught. But they got their heads wrapped around it quick, and I knew they would because they were thoroughly trained and, mm-hmm. and interested. Um, so there is that. And I don't think learning a system or a form is, is for everybody in that not every jazz musician wants to learn classical music. Mm-hmm. But, right. but interestingly... At the end of his life, Jimi Hendrix was about to stop performing and to go into the thorough study of classical music right before he passed away. So some uh, improvisers and collectors get to a certain point in their development where they actually want to study something old and formal because they're looking for an element they haven't encountered. Right. So this also happens. They want to see what all the finer permutations are once you get the This does happen, but I don't think it's, uh, I don't see it as a mandate from from (laughs) the great triad of the universe. (laughs) You will now learn the master system. No, you might be happy happy with with chips you know it's fine well there's also and i think this is partly what bruce is getting there are some people who are just naturally good fucking fighters oh and people those people you can show instincts. a trick or a specific yeah. technique to and bam it's in their arsenal and they do it right because they're they're a natural you know well, this is this is uh, instinct yeah which means we don't know what it is right well you certainly can't train uh, you you can learn elements of an art though without doing the form i think so i'm sure that i've taught 
uh, one friend of mine in particular who I've been working with for over a decade, just in the sheer amount of time we've been playing around with martial arts, I've taught him a few things without him ever doing a single form other than mocking me as he slowly moves through a few movements. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Right. (laughs) But guess what? That's still doing a form, I would argue. (laughs) I know that. (laughs) Yeah, I guess he did. That's still engaging in the art side of it, right? You know, if you're not actively trying to twist another person's head off, then there's a little little artsy, you know? Uh, But there there are guys who are naturally gifted fighters. I've seen it since I was... In first and second grade, mm-hmm. there are kids in school that could just beat the shit out of the other kids. <laughs> yeah, and, and it wasn't and always it, the biggest kid or the whatever. It's just no, no, the kid it, who's got a, a feel for it and isn't afraid of it yeah, instinctively. It's, it's you kinetic, know? but it's also aggressive. For yeah. instance, with racehorses, a lot of times they don't breed, breed the racehorses for speed. People don't realize this. The racehorses are bred for aggression. Yeah, competitiveness. <laughs> exactly. And, and a smaller, more aggressive a uh, racehorse will intimidate a larger, stronger horse into the back of the row in the race. Mm-hmm. So this concept of aggression and instinct and capacity to fight or willingness to right. fight, all of this uh, figures into the equation. There are people who are so good at fighting, they don't have to learn anything. And that, But it, the whole point of having a, a, quote, martial art was to prepare you not for combat sports. It was to prepare you for war. Yeah. Well, when you make the make the link to combat sports, then you fall under whichever rules that sport you know allows. That becomes yeah. a different context, and then you enter the world of what can I get away with under the rules. So I've mm-hmm. always felt that sports taught you how to break the rules the best. Well, just in the in the quote unquote traditional martial arts, the not as sportively oriented ones that are that are still being practiced and taught. Yeah. Um, one of the things you know you were just talking about, there are great natural fighters and there are very aggressive people. Oh yeah. And I'm kind of in that camp in that I wasn't never I wasn't necessarily good early on, but I was never afraid. I would just stick my chin out and wade in like I don't give a shit. Let's see what happens. Mm. But Martial arts, the art side of it, the deep breathing, the the philosophical side, all that <laughs> stuff actually helped me deal with that aspect of my personality and gave me more control over being able to turn that on and off and not instinctively, you know, true bow up and be aggressive no matter what the situation well, was. Well, this is a this is like grace and truth. You know, the old New Testament concepts. This is what the theologians talked about they were always trying to balance truth which is you know is just a good smack in the face that's the truth part but grace is to do it well and do it at the right time so (laughs) you you really need both if you're going to become uh something that we could call a whole human being right Uh, whatever uh highly esoteric metaphysic you may justify that with you do need a balance of uh, what is required to do the job and then what is required to know why Mm mm-hmm so doing something, doing something well, or knowing why it's done, this is all encapsulated in the idea of training a system. Right. That's where that comes from. But it can be an escape pod to a dominance pyramid and creating your little kingdom as well. Oh, absolutely. So, and we've so all seen we examples to, of that, both in the sporting and the traditional realms. Yeah, yeah. I, when, when our friend who um, asked the, the original question about... Um, you know, the Jay Wilson, like whether Jay Wilson, That's hey, Jay, <laughs> when he asked about like if, if the uh, if you have forms versus just training techniques and, and drilling, you know, just drilling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think a lot of times people 
like that when they've had exposure to people that practice Chinese martial arts of some sort or Kung Fu, however you want to phrase it, they again get exposure to somebody who will just be all limp wristed and, and not yeah. put you in an actual lock when they're used to being in an mm. actual lock, not a simulated. This is where, this is where a lock would be. Right. You, you know, and somebody resisting or whatever, but and even not even with resistance necessarily, because I think any good martial artist trains without too much resistance when they're training yeah. techniques. I mean, or I mean, you can't. You, know, you have to escalate the resistance appropriately with training. I mean, but training, then again, you full resistance. Is you stupid. actually have to feel the skin grab to respect it. I, I see. Is that mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah? Absolutely. You know, the hornet that doesn't make you uh, compelled; it makes you willing. <laughs> so there's a question of what the what the technique does uh as far as jay's question uh if you have the luxury of a training partner on a daily basis to work strings of techniques that's fantastic but if you Quite don't luxury too. if you don't yeah. have the luxury of a training partner then you're left with working on movement and repetition and working with objects like a wooden man or a heavy bag or something similar yeah so a lot of this was evolved because you didn't have a training partner. But yeah. if you've got one, by all means, the most of the historical research I've done, particularly with older martial arts, they had a training pie, and it was in three sections, and it's always form, two-man, and auxiliary conditioning. Yeah. So there was always the shadow boxing aspect, the two-person aspect to learn timing, but you cannot hit your training partner full power. Right. So then you have a heavy bag, wooden man, you experiment with power on, on an object or an implement. Mm-hmm. So these three things were trained uh, in a cycle. You'd yeah. learn a form in the air. You'd learn it on a heavy bag or a wooden man. And then you'd work on it with a partner so you'd get the touch and the timing. And that combination actually is a, a nice, well-rounded training protocol right. if you've got the luxury to follow it. Right, which but, many people don't. I they would, don't. I mean, they either don't. Have even the if time you have, even if you have, you know, you know, classmates or whatever, uh, chances are their lives. Yeah, they were their nice. lives you get in the way. Days. Yeah, yeah. You know, they have families, like or they it, can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, you, I mean, you even get, even in my own life, where I spend a lot of time training, what I often get is a student who wants to look at one particular thing, and so then I have to put everything else on the back burner mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to look at one thing for maybe three to six weeks with a student which does give me the skill right. and the versatility with whatever it is we're doing. You get to do the deep dive. Yeah, but then when I'm finished and that student does goes off whatever to do whatever they're going to do, then I have to return and go back through my rotation and say, now what Right. What am I missing? You know, Where's the gap? What do I want next, yeah. et cetera? Or, oh, shit, i got to teach House of Fire for the first time <laughs> of the year, and I'm a little stiff. I better start uh, working on that again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or now i got to get my neck in shape because we're going to practice face locks for the next three right, weeks. Right. So there's this kind of thing where you have to adjust to, to what the student needs to do. Yeah, and an art or a style gives you that rotation. In theory, there is a... According to how complete the system is, it trains all parts of the body and all basic responses. Some systems are specializations, and yeah. so they won't, they won't take the body through a full round of training. Yeah. They'll be arm-dominated, leg-dominated. They won't have anything for the midsection. 
you, you know, they right. have only one on one, or all the techniques are frontal, or they don't mm-hmm. deal with a predatory right. attack from behind, right. or they only work with this weapon. So, depending upon the focus of the system, all systems are specializations. Mm-hmm. But some systems are attempts to produce a virtuoso training. Some of the older systems, they were trying to make someone extremely accomplished. Right. But those are extremely time intensive, mm-hmm. and they usually have lots of forms and lots of auxiliary training. The, the modern world's not friendly to it, but there are still plenty of people out there doing it, too. Well, there's, it's, it happens in pockets. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'd, one last thing that I would like to point out about forms uh, or the art side, having forms. Yeah. They are, in one sense, just a collection of tactics. Right, so you can take any piece out of that. You do your tactics. It's it's you can just see it as an aid to memory there. But what I, what I think is really cool mm-hmm. about forms is their collections of tactics. You get that part down. Then you take a step back and you look at how they're connected, and that's really a bottomless pit for growth. It's like what are the connecting fibers? How do you move from this technique to that technique? How does the form set up different thought provoking examples of so, how you may transition from here to here? So in this way, the form is a platform for thinking. Right, and it greases well, the wheels and well, helps you learn how to do all the interstitial well, you stuff. Have in to be careful because thinking is not very popular these days. Oh, I've never given a. <laughs> Shit about popular. You don't want to fall into political incorrectness <laughs> since you can't be a republicrat. Uh, well, yes. I can't climb out of it, Alan. I know, I know. Think my neck in it. You and your thinking. I this think is... I've peed in this pool already. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but does that make sense? I mean, it's the. The magics is in the middle. It's like a jazz musician. You know, they say it's not the notes you're playing, it's the space between them. And well, mm. there's truth to it. There's the truth, empty, there's the silence between the notes. <laughs> right. And and forms, in a sense, give you not just the notes, but the spaces in between them to examine from different perspectives. I mean, for my personal practice, forms have, have played a huge part in learning. And the, I mean, they are the, the two that I really spend the most time studying still. They've, every day I learn something about them, you know, something mm-hmm. new, you know, and and it's the same old movements that I've been doing for however many years, you know, but it's, you know, you just every now and then learn something without another person or external stimulus, you know? So, I mean, there's plenty of value to the form, but I think without having spent a lot of time hands on with another person there, I wouldn't get any of that value from the form. Like when I go on my terrace in the morning and I run through, you know, my, my movements, it's, it's a, it's with a different mindset because of, previous experience I've had with, with feeling people. And, you know, so I may step a little bit differently or I'm, I'm just mindful of how my hips are or whatever, where I wouldn't be necessarily if I was just doing a dance. Well, like, like we were saying, like I was saying earlier and I was too, it's, it's a necessary component. It may just not be sufficient, especially if you want that whole art package. Also, uh, I was thinking of form as the memory of the dead. In essence, forms are maps handed down from people who have had their own experiences so, in some ways, this is something, it's, it's, a, it's a history book. It's like collecting old maps that are beautiful, them there be monsters of the deep. <laughs> there be monsters. So, we, we've got this idea that a form is a catalog, but it's also a history book, and it gives you insight into culture, and you're also playing in the memories of the dead. Yeah. So, it has that uh, walking dead kind of appeal for those <laughs> who are... Uh, 
interested, if you're interested in history and culture, the form can be very thought-provoking, very fascinating, because it is a record of behavior. Yeah. So you run into how did people think, why did they think that way, why did they do it this way? Because this is important for us if we don't want to be separated from the continuum of history. Now, that's become a bigger question for those who are weaned on technology. Right. So the form can actually serve as a kind of physical education to keep people from getting lost in their head. And it's very useful for that. And in some ways, I can see why Kano and Funakoshi both wanted martial arts to be part of public education. Mm -hmm. It was to prevent this sort of uh, schizophrenia or divorce from the past. Yeah, and, uh, you know, uh, another thing on the point you're mentioning there is that, you know, these... Uh, oh, shit, I sort of lost my thread. Oh, no. oh I hate it when that happens. <laughs> well, we're talking about memory of the dead. Right. Education. Okay. Right. The trick is, and I think this is what has given a lot of martial arts, traditional martial arts, a bad name, is you want someone who can teach you history so that you're not doomed to repeat it, not so you are doomed to repeat it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? There yeah. are some people who take this idea of an art or a system, and it's written in stone. It was handed down on high from the Lord God, our master, <laughs> uh, you know, so-and-so, who uh, we cannot change a thing. He perfected it. We can't learn. You know, it's <laughs> So, yeah, you want to learn your history thoroughly, yeah. but it's so you're not doomed to repeat it. Now, you may want to repeat it, but you know you don't want to be doomed to repeat it by somebody who's blinkered and says this is the only way to do it. Everybody else is bullshit. Well, we blah, step blah, blah. we step into something really important, which is human freedom. Yeah, and a, a human being is an evolving species. We hope. Well, we and, have to be because our environment's constantly and, evolving. And if <laughs> if we are going to let them be free enough to evolve, when we teach them, we have to leave the teaching open. Yeah. So theologically, they they used to debate about the Bible. Is it a closed canon? Is there anything to add to the map or not? Or is the map finished? Mm -hmm. And it's really up to the teacher to say to the student, this is the map I was given. Now, what can you add to this map? Now, I split students into two kinds. One is what I call uh, individualizers. That means you're just teaching them because they're interested in their own eccentric way, and they're going to take what they like and walk away. Right. And then there's preservers, which means a preserver is someone who wants to learn the whole thing and to preserve it the way you would keep an antique chair in your house. Yeah. And I kind of fall into that camp, you know. Well, there's a little bit of both. I'm probably in the first. (laughs) Yeah. But you can be both. A student can be both. But I think it's important to know the difference and not to lay that trip on a student. You know, I don't expect all my students to preserve the art, young Luke, because it's obviously not part of what they're interested in. But they'll come, and I'll show them a few tricks, and they'll be happy with that. And then they'll say, good, now I want to go do Muay Thai or whatever. And I'll say, good, go do it, Mm -hmm. because everybody's got their own path. Right. And so this is a question of if the teacher is secure enough to let the student follow their own path, or if he tries to lay this trip on them that they are now going to carry the system. Right. Because that can be a very empire-building, student-control pyramid. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, and I like your analogy about a map because what I'm trying to do is attempting to pass on the map that you gave me, yeah. that you were given by Hong. Yeah. You know, I'm passing on that map and I don't want to omit anything from the right. map, but I right. also make it clear that my notes are all over this map, right? Here's <laughs> the map. All this other stuff are my notes. Take what you will from that. Write mm-hmm. your own damn notes on your own copy of the map. Yeah. And, you know, and hopefully over time, improvements accrue. You know? Yeah. And yeah. I, and I, I kind of uh, understand that. In a particular way, because at one time I worked professionally as a map maker. Ah, a cartographer. I huh? was a cartographer, and I did 3D maps of, uh, uh-huh. of groundwater pollution. So I got very mm. conscious of what maps meant and who drew them and who they were handed to, and I had engineers breathing down my neck with deadlines of, we need this on the map, we need that. So right. when I learned, learned some of these old systems, I, I actually documented them as maps and i think this gave me a a mnemonic edge i saw them as maps right mm-hmm. and and so that's that mnemonic edge with remembering all yeah. of the material yeah, yeah. because yeah. and so i've you know there's there's a, probably i have memorized maybe 14 to 1600 movements and i carry them all in my head mm-hmm. and so did hung yeah. he taught me without notes he remembered everything right Hmm. And it was the mark of someone who knew it that they could do that. Although I can remember you telling me a long time ago a story about training with Hung, and he would often go, he would stop in the middle of walking down the street or doing something and show you something because he's like, ooh, I just remembered. I might not remember this again. That's Let me right. show you this. That's right. And, and then the umbrella would come out. And, yeah. yeah. And you're dodging and ducking. And I'm and dodging and he's laughing. And, yeah. Yeah, so that does happen, and and even any we're teacher, imperfect vessels for this sort of thing. Any teacher with students occasionally has to let the parrot out of the cage, and 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 you say, hey, like, remember though, we we have to remember this, right? Because you can't remember everything in the class. And what's even strange, I find fascinating, also, is when you have a group of students, and you look at the array of students, there's always certain students that you know have aptitude mm-hmm. or gift. Yeah. And you immediately get it in your mind there's some things you want to show them. And quite often the day you remember to pull this material out, they don't come to class. <laughs> and I've always found this fascinating like why isn't Fred here? He would be perfect at this. <laughs> yeah. This this I always find like uh if you believe in karma it's just perfectly explicable. It it's like no, they can't come on that day because this is what there's. If they had been a, um, if they had been true to themselves, they would have showed up. Right. But you know, they slept late or they were drunk or whatever, so they missed that one lesson that you wanted them to get. And of course, they come the next week, and you're you're not on that page anymore, and you don't remember. So this yeah. kind of thing happens with the map, right? With the tricks of memory, or or trying to have the. Presence of mind, underline that. Present, trying to have the presence of mind to show the right student the right thing at the right time. Mm-hmm. It's not easy at all. And in a good system, that's part of what the art, it's part of the art side. Again, well, it's not just the basic mechanics of how do I hurt guy with X technique. You know? <coughs> You're so talking the, end, the art can be completely different from the origin depending on the purpose of it being taught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then, yeah. Yeah, also when you say that, um, I make a strong separation between the craft of the art or how to do it and the teaching of the art, which is another thing. 
Because not everyone who's good at something can teach it. Yeah. Mm. Like, I remember when I was out in Yosemite with the grizzly bears, and they were trying to teach me how to slash salmon out of the river with their claws. And I always thought, how, how come I can't do this? My claws are so short. <laughs> and they made fun of me, and they wouldn't even go drinking. So these things happen, Dave. <laughs> Did you dose him, Bruce? Yes. <laughs> okay, well, now we have in. our answer. <laughs> Alan, you'll be fine in 24 hours. Just ride it out. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> the world is turning around my head. Clouds and flowers. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I think we've stabbed at this from a lot of different <laughs> angles here, but that was, that's, uh, you know, it was really Just interesting. Just hand me my drinking skull. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Well, let me fill that for you. <laughs> With the urine of baby. Wait, <laughs> Oddly enough, we could do that in this house, but we're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I, I think we'll put a bow on this segment unless somebody has anything you think we've missed to add to that. I think that sums up everything there is to know about forms. Yeah, my my, my <laughs> well, I, I didn't intend to just grind the old form versus function thing again. I, I did want to get, and I think we did more specific well, about what constitutes the art side of it and why is it useful. Yeah. Why does it belong together with you know? And more than anything function. else, it's Jay's fault. <laughs> yeah, Jay, yeah, we blame Jay, you. It's your fault. Now, and something else, Jay, is if you're ever in Tallahassee, the guy who knows more about martial arts, form and function and history. Across the globe than anybody else I know of is Danny Emmerich, and he's in Tallahassee. But but he doesn't volunteer anything. So just look for the guy that looks like Colonel Sanders and tell him you want more than chicken. That's the guy. (laughs) All right. Well, there's a hot lead for our high-out listener, Jay Wilson. There you go. Anybody else can take that lead, too. Yeah, yeah. Take initiative. It's hard to find a good teacher, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and as we were saying, we totally blame you, and we know where you live, so look out. <laughs> and it is our it is our fault, but our cream master muscles are secure. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, but maybe you'll show me in the champagne lounge. <laughs> <laughs> well, the girls were interested, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a conversation we should probably get back to. Uh, but yeah, so uh, you know, I think we'll take a break at this point if everybody's. Uh, yeah, ready. I got to go back up to the mountain now and rest. Yeah, well, we got to feed you and do all that That's stuff. That's true. That's so true. yeah, listeners, uh, I'll be back on a little bit later to uh, maybe give you a little bit of a media mop up, and Bruce may hang around a little while longer. So you never know what's coming out next. Yeah, I got to call Louise and let her know I'll be home later. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to give people such the wrong impression. Bring the dogs in, Louis. Listen, why the, the gallivanting bachelor. <laughs> Don't let Louis hear like you a say that. Man. Yeah. that. That's your pet otter. Uh, right? Listen, that pet that, otter. That, yeah. that, that, <laughs> that rolling pin will come out fast, let me tell you. Before we let you go, Alan, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I know you got traveling coming up. Is there anything you want to throw out to the listeners if they happen to be here, there, or anywhere where they when, might join up. I don't know when you're going to televise this. Message, oh, this will be out in the next week. You're teaching so. some Tai Chi. I've got to go out to California. Uh, two week, last two weeks of February, I'll be in L.A. and Fairfax. Okay. I think that's on the site. And then end of April, back over to Europe, and all that stuff is, is on the site, too. All right. Well, yeah. you can find Alan's schedule at, uh, what are your web digits? It's uh, whereswaldo.com. No, yeah. <laughs> it's You're wearing the wrong w- scarf. Yeah, www.a, as in alpha, pitman with two t's.com. And usually that's up to date. And if 
If anything's shaky, just send me an email and I'll, I'll tell you what's the latest. Because these days we never plan more than 24 minutes in advance. Yeah. <laughs> You've never planned more than 24 minutes in advance. No, I've found life entirely too unpredictable. Yeah. I, I should have known something was up the first time I walked in the studio and he had the whatever clock hanging on the wall with all the numbers <laughs> jumbled up at the bottom. <laughs> It's Pittman time when you're in my zone, baby. <laughs> Bitches. All right, well, thanks for coming on and talking with us again, Alan. You betcha. It's always a pleasure to have you here. I'm and always glad pleasure. to drink from the Death Skull. All always right. Good, well, yeah. I'll, I'll fill you up another Crockett Death Skull <laughs> Thank angle. You. Thank you. All right, and uh, you'll hear back from me and maybe Bruce here in just a little bit. All Cheers. Right. had to go home and so did bruce so it's just little old me and this is actually a couple of days later but uh we had as much fun the rest of the evening as it sounded like we were having on mics had some homemade enchiladas uh and uh, a couple more beers around the fire and then it was time for everyone to get back to their pumpkins i mean sorry their coaches before they turned into pumpkins um <clears throat> drunken pumpkins now, I also want to thank uh, Thais for whipping up those enchiladas and doing her best to keep old and quiet during that. <laughs> Sorry you had to hear me yell at my children. We've got two of them now, so it's a real juggling act. I appreciate it, honey. Thank you. Uh, quickly, before we leave, uh, I'm just going to talk about a couple of movies briefly that I've seen. I've seen so much crap lately on uh, the Netflix that I don't even want to talk about the crap, but... These, these are worth watching. So let's get going here. Ninja 2. Ninja 2. Yeah, Ninja 2. It's, uh, it's uh, Scott Adkins uh, starred as Kane Kasugi, uh, Mika Hiji. Um, you know, I, let me see who directed this thing. Do, 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 do. Isaac Florentine. Uh, this is a 2013 movie that just popped up on Netflix. And... Uh, I got to recommend it. Now, it's cheesy as all get out in that good old sort of, you know, late 80s, early 90s sort of action flick. And I guess if it's a ninja movie, it's got to be that way, sort of, or it wouldn't be a ninja movie. So, you know, there's murder, there's revenge, uh, and there's drug dealing. You know, it's got all that stuff in it. Uh, but, you know, I, I was impressed early on. There's a. There's a couple of good, like, uh, there's a no-cut fight in an evil dojo uh, uh, when he tracks down some people that mugged him and may have killed his wife. And I was like, oh, look, they got a whole good fight scene in with no cuts. So uh, this is on, you know, this, this, this game is on here. <laughs> uh, there's all kinds of stuff. There's barbed wire man Riki Gusari. Uh, you know, apparently ninjas can use grenades, but not rifles for some reason. Some drunken style karate, uh, you know, signature weapons. There's all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, it's, it's chock full of all the tropes that used to make these things fantastic for us when we were younger and what salvages, you know, 
what excuses all those tropes and everything else and some kind of wooden acting too. It's not terrible, but it's not the best is they really took their time with the action. It's a lot of fun. So, uh, you know, and it's on Netflix streaming. So get out there and watch that one. Ninja two. I got to find out about this Ninja one thing. There's got to be a Ninja one. I presume it's not on Netflix, but Ninja two was a damn good time with, uh, lots of good fights. So, uh, all you, you know, Ninja movie aficionados really should dig this one. Uh, it's just like the old school ones plot wise and acting wise, but the action has definitely been up the notch. So it's good stuff. Good stuff. And as an honorable mention, I'd like to throw in another movie that's on Netflix streaming. It's called Deceptive Practice, The Mysteries and Mentors of Ricky Jay. Now, for those of you who don't know, Ricky Jay is uh, a famous up-close magician. He's been around and pretty popular since the 70s. You know, he was always on Johnny Carson or Dinah Shore, one of those shows doing his thing. He does lots of card tricks, um, <clears throat> one of which is very appealing to a martial artist. He can stick a playing card in a watermelon from 10 feet away. Uh, pretty impressive stuff. But the reason I thought it might be worth mentioning on this podcast is, one, I discovered during the course of the movie that he was an Aikido student, which I did not really know. And there's some interesting talk with his uh, Aikido teacher. Uh The other thing is, this movie really shows what it means to practice an art. You know, this guy does it because he loves it, but he spends 10 or 12 hours a day with a deck of cards in his hand. You know, and they show several scenes of him just sitting at his practice table, shuffling and reshuffling. Not even doing magic tricks, just getting the feel of the cards keeping them moving constantly. And there's there's a subtext in this, you know, what it really takes to excel at something. And it's a message that all martial artists should take to heart because none of us, well, maybe some of you do, I don't practice enough anymore. Got to get back on that. Got to up my game. And this this movie kind of inspired me to get out there and do some more of that. So, you know, I, uh, I recommend it. And it's just fascinating in and of itself. Lots of good sleight of hand magic in there. Lots of good tricks. Lots of good stories. So check that one out too. And there is a keto in there. And speaking of a keto, thanks to Ike Wilson um, for uh, resending all that material and giving us something to banter about this this episode. And I also want to thank him and all the other people. I just checked the reviews on iTunes a little while ago, and we actually got several during our downtime. So thank you, thank you, thank you, people. This helps us be noticed. And if anybody else wants to contribute to that cause, just go rate and review on iTunes. It uh, it really helps us. Uh, that being said, you can reach us at Dave at com or... Send your show topic suggestions, comments, and everything else to mailbag at com, And we will definitely get into those. Uh, again, if you sent something and it disappeared, resend it. It works. You just proved it tonight. And I think that's going to be it for this episode, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, we will see ya! Shit.
Shit, tranquility. <laughs> 